passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we are alive. I am your host. <clears throat> Excuse me, the Big Phil Combo. Live from the Big Phil Palace in Aurora, Ontario, Canada. This is the post UFC 269 post show. I'm joined, uh, as always, when John's not around, by our favorite MMA personality, Eric Marcotte. How are you doing, Eric? I'm pretty good, you know. A card like that, that puts a bit of energy into you at one in the morning. That's right. Yes. Uh, happy to be here earlier rather than later. Uh, pretty exciting night. The last UFC pay-per-view of the year, headlined by two title fights, uh, including Charles Oliveira versus uh, Dustin Poirier and Amanda Nunez versus Juliana Pena. Uh, going into this card, Eric, what was your excitement level at? My excitement level was pretty high for this one. I think this is one of the better cards of the year, top to bottom. I can't say I was looking forward to every fight on the card, as we'll touch on later, but even those fights uh, often surpassed my expectations by a large amount. How about yourself? You know, I was a little bit lukewarm on, on this card, uh, not maybe just because we've been spoiled with so much uh, combat sports recently. I mean, there's been great uh, MMA and boxing recently. Uh, so, uh, and, and, you know, holiday season things have been going on. So I, I wasn't really tuned into this event until the last, you know, few days or so when, you know, you start to review the card and you see that there are just a lot of great fights throughout it. And uh, it ended up delivering for the most part. For the most part, yeah. We'll touch on that. All right. So why don't we get into it, and why don't we start with the main event, Charles Oliveira versus Dustin Poirier. Charles Oliveira on this incredible run going into this, the all-time submission leader, uh, Dustin Poirier, the man who, you know, the uncrowned king, the former interim champion, the man, uh, you know, who it, twice in 2021 defeated Conor McGregor uh, in going into this big fight it was pretty even on paper how did you have this matchup uh you know pegged in your head uh all week i've gone back and forth on who i thought was going to win this one and yesterday in the post wrestling discord i made my case for dustin poirier being the winner of this fight but uh on the night of the fight as they walked into the octagon i went with charles Oliveira. how about you who, who are you leaning towards so uh, I, I was exactly the same way. I was leaning towards Dustin Poirier all week. And even um, I got a text message uh, from a friend of mine and John's. Uh, and he was asking for our predictions. And uh, we both went with Poirier. But then when it came time for the fight, just the energy. And I went with Oliveira in the prediction pool. 
And uh, well, why don't you give us a recap of what happened and uh, you can let the viewers who missed it know how the action went down. Oh, you want me to do the recap? Sure. I mean, okay. I'm just messing messing with you. Okay. All right. (laughs) I have my notes in front of me. (laughs) You're, you're, you're doing a bunch of messing with me tonight. (laughs) It's making me uncomfortable, but uh, maybe that's, uh, that's fine. I think the the fans enjoy it. My eye was twitching. I have this pair of sunglasses beside me and my eye was twitching all night and I was going to wear these because I didn't want my eyes to twitch. And now you're, you're going to get the other eye to twitch. Anyway, anyway, go on with the recap. Oh, so before the fight even starts, I just have to note, as Charles Oliveira makes his way into the cage, he walks over to Dustin's corner, and not the, he doesn't just do the kind of customary glove touch. He gives Dustin a full-out uh, hug. He, he shakes every member of Dustin's corner's hand. Uh, very wholesome. Come on. The fight starts, and Oliveira immediately takes the center of the octagon, but Poirier knocks him right back there's a clear power advantage in favor of dustin poirier and let me just say the pace of this round was unbelievable it felt as though there wasn't a second without action going on they were trading these uppercuts in the clinch and Oliveira started to work the body with these hard knees as well which you can see were uh, affecting dustin early dustin cracks him with this left hand that once again backs him off and uh, Charles shoots for a takedown to change levels. Poirier's, Poirier's defense holds up uh, wonderfully, at least in this first round. And he just goes on the attack afterwards, unloading with strikes on Oliveira against the cage. To me, it looked as though Oliveira was getting overwhelmed here, but he just started firing back, which sent Dustin uh, back them off for the time being. But Dustin lands a huge right hook that sends Oliveira down. He chooses not to engage him in his guard which was a very smart decision. And Oliveira gets back to his feet to end what was a really entertaining round. I had it 10-9 for Poirier. Uh, same for you, Phil? Or? Yeah, I had it 10-9 for Poirier, mainly because, you know, he dropped him and, and he seemed to hurt him pretty bad. But it was also fairly obvious that those knees to the body were very effective. Particularly, there was one when Dustin was swarming a bit and Oliveira was able to back him off with it. And I, I think that that, you know, saved him a little bit because Poirier w- was pouring it on. Um, y- you really got a hand. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Oliveira, the durability on this guy. If you think about how many UFC fights he's had, how many times he's been in such incredibly tough situations, he took a lot of shots in this round and it looked pretty bad in places, but he kept coming back. And even though he took the worst shots, he did seem a little bit fresher going into the second round. I agree completely. And to think it wasn't, it doesn't feel that long ago where it felt as though Oliveira kind of had a reputation for someone who'd crumble under pressure or, you know, significant damage. But in his last few fights, I think that reputation is completely gone. Anyways, uh, going into round two, Oliveira switches it up with the strategies. He's heavily pursuing the takedown. And... In perhaps the controversial moment of the fight, uh, Oliveira is successful. And as Joe Rogan notes, there was a grab of the glove that changed uh, the complexion of the fight. I watched a replay of this a few times. And at least to me, it actually didn't look that egregious. It looks like he has it for a second, but then he switches to Poirier's wrist. But uh, perhaps more will come on that later. Regardless, Oliveira goes 
He gets top position where he begins to work from Dustin's guard. He spends the entire round in top position, throwing down multiple elbows, did a ton of damage throughout this round. Pretty clear 19-19 going into round three. And in round three, it takes him seconds to just take the back of Dustin Poirier. He climbs up, locks in a rear naked choke, and Dustin Poirier cements. Charles Oliver retains the UFC lightweight championship by rear naked choke at a minute and two seconds of the third round. What are your thoughts, Phil? I mean, wild fight, incredible performance. Charles Oliveira is, I mean, he's an amazing fighter. He's the best submission fighter we've ever seen in the UFC. He's increasing this lead of all-time submissions. To You know, he's getting finishes by strikes. He's getting finishes by submission in the highest level fights. Uh, he's still very young. Just incredible performance. The the way he's able to weave his legs, uh, you know, in the stand-up when he takes the back uh, to be able to secure the takedown or uh, the rear naked choke is a thing of beauty. He's very dangerous on his feet. He's versatile. He's just a problem for any anyone. And, and he's grown up in the UFC. So it, it's pretty amazing to watch. And he seems like such a nice personality that, you know, you can't help but, you know, feel really happy for him. Uh, and, you know, for Dustin Poirier, very tough to see, you know, another crack at gold and he comes up short. Hard to see how, you know, you know, he made some mistakes in this fight, but ultimately it was just Art Oliveric just put him in the position to finish. And you really just have to give your hats off to uh, Charles Oliveira. Yep, it's now 10 consecutive wins for Charles Oliveira, and he's finished nine of those fights. And he extended his UFC record for most submissions, as well as his UFC record for most finishes here. Uh, Charles Oliveira, he's putting together a pretty fantastic career at this point. Yeah, I mean, we know what's next for him, or what should be next. Seems like it's Justin Gaethje. Um Early, you know, early, no prediction necessarily, but just give us your thoughts on that potential matchup. Yeah, I think that is the most likely direction, although it wouldn't completely shock me if they went with Islam Makachev as well. I think he's entered into that mix, but uh, I think Charles Oliveira versus Dustin, uh, Dustin, Justin Gaethje is a really interesting matchup. Gaethje has a lot of similarities to Poirier, but he also has some different strengths that makes that one a really engaging fight. I think Charles's route to victory in that one would probably be similar to the one he used here, really putting the pressure on Gaethje, but uh, we'll see. That's right. We will see. Hopefully, we will see. Hopefully, um, yeah. Yes. And then, uh, and then for Dustin Poirier, uh, you know, tough loss, uh, but lots of options for him. It seems like the most obvious one would be the uh, fourth fight that we're all clamoring for with uh, Conor McGregor. But there is even a potential for a Nate Diaz fight out there. I, I like the idea of that one. It fits the bill as a big uh, money fight. Um, what do you think? You're not wrong. I think those are two of the more likely next matchups for Dustin Poirier, just with the financial aspects of it. But I, I'm not interested in those at all, like in the slightest. I think they're both very easy fights for Dustin Poirier. Uh, so that, so then, who do ahead. you want to see him? So who do you want to see him fight then? I think whoever doesn't get uh, Charles Oliveira, whether that's Justin Gaethje or Islam Makachev, I think that fighter should fight Dustin Poirier next. 
Okay. Well, it does sound... I mean, didn't they book the Islam fight? He's going to fight Benil Dariush, right? So... Oh, yeah, there's... you're right. You're right. So, so it, it seems like while that goes down, it's going to be Gaethje and, you know, mm -hmm. light, Lightweight is uh, booked for uh, the foreseeable future. Michael Chandler as well. Michael Chandler versus Dustin Poirier would be a banger. yes. That's yes. That yeah. That one. That one makes a lot of sense as well. So uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that one uh, booked soon too. But I, it's just there's so much money on the Connor yeah. fight that I I think that's what the UFC is going to want. And I mean, I guess it, it does come down to what Connor wants though. So yeah. What what if Connor fights Nate? Then what's Dustin going to do? <laughs> well, you can wait Nick, around. Perhaps? Yeah, that's sure. Yeah, go up to 185. Um, I feel like a horrible person for even like throwing that out there. I deeply regret even saying that. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's all fantasy. All right. So now we'll move on to the next title fight. Amanda Nunez taking on Juliana Pena. Amanda Nunez having defended this title how many times? Five times so far? It's been like, what, five years, six years of title defenses for her. Uh, taking on Juliana Pena, uh, who... Amanda Nunez, minus 1,000 favorite going into this one. I think minus 1,100 on some books. Um, no one giving Pena a shot. Um, I mean, I'm not even going to pretend, you know, you gave her a shot or I gave her a shot. John didn't give her a shot. Um, it did seem like her family gave her a shot because they were, they were right behind her the whole time. Um, why don't you tell us what happened in this fight, Eric? You, you know what? I will give some credit to John Pollock at this moment because I recall when you and John were discussing this fight, he did say Pena would be an interesting matchup for Nunes. So I, I don't know if he gets like full points for predicting a win, but I'll give him some credit because I didn't think this would be interesting at all. The fight starts and Nunes kind of immediately sends Pena to the ground with a calf kick. Uh, this first round was exactly what you would imagine going into this fight. Uh, Pena is not reacting well to Nunes's power. She pretty much drops her with a jab at one point and spends the remainder of the round in top position. A very clear round for Amanda Nunes to start off this fight. And then round two happens. And round two will go down in MMA history as uh, one of the most famous rounds to ever occur. Let's, let's jump into it. Pena is starting off the round far more aggressively on the feet. She's tagging Nunez repeatedly with her jab as well as these strong right hands that she was following up with. Nunez was looking a bit stunned, but, you know, she was still firing back hard, and Pena was eating some hard shots. Both of them were stunning each other. There were wild exchanges here. And it was like a prolonged period of, like, nearly two minutes of just swapping punches back and forth. But eventually it becomes clear that Juliana Pena is landing the better shots. She is doing more damage, and Amanda Nunez is gassing quickly. Pena starts pouring it on as Nunez backs into a corner, and Pena's, she realizes Nunez is gassed. She knows this is her moment. She takes Amanda down, immediately takes her back, locks in the rear naked choke, and Amanda Nunez taps out. Juliana Pena is your new UFC Women's Bantamweight Champion. Holy shit. Uh, I'll let you start, Phil. Uh, yeah, I mean, this round... I, I, I mean, you did a great job of describing the action. It, it, you, you nailed it perfectly. Uh, what you can't describe, what we can't describe, but maybe we can just conv convey was just the wild 
visceral emotion of what was going down. Like it was, it was an old fashioned brawl. These girls were just trading shot for shot and they were going back and forth and they were both getting good shots. I mean, Pena was the one who started the whole thing off, landing that stiff jab and then and then following it up with a right. And she was moving Nunez back. But then Nunez started to counter her and it looked like she was taking over. But then when it became clear that Nunez was uh, Pena wasn't going away and Nunez was was getting tired, even though they were still trading, you could still you could see the writing on the wall a little bit. Yeah, it was completely wild. I mean. Even if you were to tell me that going into this fight, Phil from the future tells me Juliana Pena is going to beat Amanda Nunes. I don't think I could ever imagine it going like this. Uh, completely overwhelming Nunes on the feet in round two and finishing her as easily as she did once it went to the ground. Just uh, a phenomenal, phenomenal performance in an all-time moment in the history of the sport. For sure. I mean, and this round, I mean, we've had several uh, round of the year contenders, uh, even recently. And I think that this has to make that short list as well, because I mean, you know, you include the status of it that has to play a massive factor as well. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I, it's, it, it slipped the mind, but, uh, you know, prior to the fight, uh, the UFC put Kayla Harrison, two-time Olympic champion. Did she ever win anything else two times? Uh, the PFL, maybe. <laughs> well, maybe. Uh, so, yeah, the, yeah the, the UFC brought out Kayla Harrison. They put her on TV. I guess the idea was they're going to set up a 145-pound fight, but uh, I think... There might be a 135-pound rematch ahead of that. Uh, it seems like the natural fight to make, right? A hundred percent. I can't imagine doing them doing anything else. I mean, featherweight, that, that division can wait for as long as they want that division to wait for. Uh, and you can, you, know? you, can put, you can put Harrison in there with somebody first, too, right? Like, that makes it, you know, that at least exposes yeah. her to uh, the UFC audience. Definitely. And uh, I mean, she hasn't signed with the UFC yet either. It's entirely right. possible yeah. she'll go back to the PFL or go fight Cyborg in Bellator. But for uh, sure. yeah, this ended a pretty phenomenal winning streak for Amanda Nunes. Uh, 12 consecutive wins, nine of those being title fights, and a lot of those being against current former champions. Uh, two wins against Valentina Shevchenko, Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey, Holly Holm, Jermaine Duranami. Uh, an all-time run in the history of the sport. Absolutely. Um, and still the champion at 145 yeah, as well, right? <laughs> so, so yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. You know, she was very gracious in defeat. She seemed to be in very good spirits despite the loss. You know, she's, she's somebody who has a, you know, a new young family. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of things for her outside the octagon and she's a, accomplished everything you can inside the octagon. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I suspect that we'll see her again and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see a great rematch. I'll, you know, I think there'll be a lot more anticipation for this rematch than there was for, uh, the, the tonight's fight. Oh, 100%. All right. So moving down the rest of the card to the non-title portions, we had a welterweight bout between Jeff Neal and Santiago Ponzinibbio. Ponzinibbio coming off of that long layoff. He finally got a win in his last bout. 
Jeff Neal not looking so great as of late. Uh, how did it go down, uh, Eric? So uh, in reality, this, this this opening round was Jeff Neal versus Santiago Ponzinibbio versus referee Mark Smith because <laughs> Mark Smith was a very busy man in in this fight. Uh, seconds in, he's shouting hey, at Ponzinibbio. Yo, about Eric, Eric, fingers. that your fingers are very close to your eyes. There, you should watch your fingers. You're, there's a, you think something could happen. Watch them. Watch your fingers. Yes, Mark Smith was uh, the star of this fight, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> warnings every few seconds, which, you know what, fair enough, because these guys could not stop stretching their fingers out. But regardless, it wasn't uh, the most exciting opening round. Uh, Neil did some good work landing a head kick early after some leg kicks from Ponzinibbio. I thought Neil was doing a really good job defensively in this round. Like, Ponzinibbio was missing a lot. Uh, near the end of the round, we, we get a foul as... Neil kicks Ponzinibbio low, a lot more work for Mark Smith. And Ponzinibbio ends the round with a decent combination. I scored the opening round 10-9 for Jeff Neal. How about you, Phil? Yeah, I had it the same way. Uh, just Neil was, uh, as the commentators mentioned, he was just a little bit tighter. Like, everything he does is is quite clean. You know, it, it's just, he doesn't swing wildly. Uh, he's very sound defensively. Uh, but it also, you know, sometimes he doesn't take risks as well in uh, advantageous positions, but I scored it exactly the same way. Round two was a better one for Ponzinibbio, who was looking a lot more comfortable on the feet. Uh, he was throwing his right hand constantly. It found its target more often than not. It, it was still a close round, but I thought Ponzinibbio was the better fighter throughout this one. He was slightly ahead on the strike count. There was a very, very strange exchange near the end of this fight where, where Ponzinibbio... Uh, thinks that he was poked in the eye and he practically just stops fighting he starts pointing at neil and uh, for a solid 15 seconds it's just there's no pause to the action but Ponzinibbio, neil and mark smith are just debating the this alleged eye poke before the fight resumed uh really strange anyways we go into round three i thought this was the closest round uh neil stung stings Ponzinibbio early he continues to look for a lot of quick combinations on the feet, which really prompts Neil to pick up the, com- the the pace of the fight. In the final minute of the round, Neil begins to pull away. He goes on the attack. I thought this was the best he looked all fight. I scored the fight 29-28 for Jeff Neil. Did you see it the same way? or? Yeah, I had it the same way. Uh, you know, he just... he. he... The second round, Ponzinibbio was able to just land a little bit more volume. Try, he figured him out a little bit, was able to continuously land a right-left combo, uh, you know, facing a southpaw fighter. Uh, and then, yeah, in, in the third round, you know, the, the corner kind of gave it to Neil. They told him, you got to go out there and you got to go take the round. And he went and he did it. He, he was more active. He was more accurate. He still stayed disciplined. And uh, I think he, he pretty clearly won the round. Yeah, the scorecards are red. It's uh, Jeff Neal by split decision. Two scorecards in his favor at 29-28 and 30-27. One opposing 28-29 scorecard for Ponzinibbio, which is fair. I didn't really see the 30-27 one. I thought I thought Pons took that second round. But uh, this it was a bit of a slow-paced fight, but, but it was pretty hard-hitting. I can't say I was bored for it. Yeah, it just sort of landed... You know, after a series of some pretty exciting fights that we had, uh, so so what 
might this seem more exciting later uh on or at another time i think just yeah. uh, on this card it didn't it didn't quite fit and and this was taking the slot of uh, Jorge masvidal versus leon edwards as well which was uh, one of the stylistically more interesting fights on this card going into it mm-hmm all right, and so now we're moving on to the flyweight debut of one Cody Garbrandt taking on uh, perennial contender Kai Kara France. Uh, so Cody Garbrandt, you know, first time making a flyweight. He seemed to look okay making the weight. He looked massive compared to Kai Kara France in this fight. How'd the action play out? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that Garbrandt looked pretty good on scales. And going into the fight in these early exchanges, I thought Garbrandt looked just as quick as he did at uh, bantamweight. He, he's going after the legs early with some creative leg kicks to Cara France, but it's Cara France who just drops Garbrandt hard with this beautiful right hand. Garbrandt, he got back to his feet, but you can see he's he's stumbling around. He's not completely back into it. And I swear, in, throughout this next minute, Cora France drops him about three more times. Eventually, Garbrandt goes down hard enough that Herb Dean stops it, but uh, pretty brutal finish. Kai Cora France wins by TKO at 321 of round one. Uh, not the ideal debut in the flyweight division for Cody Garbrandt, Phil. Oh, definitely not. I mean, look, going into this fight, Cody Garbrandt had already lost, what was it, four out of his last five. So now this is like five out of the last six. And and granted, it's against, you know, elite competition, but, uh, you know, a That's lot of those... That's of an elite fighter, right? Yes. But look, a lot of those have been also like brutal KOs. So it's just really tough to watch, uh, you know, somebody, you know, it's just tough to watch somebody go down so many times in such brutal fashion. He's still obviously a very good fighter. Um, do you think that this is the correct weight class for him? Um, I don't think we saw enough evidence one way or the other to tell. Uh, I think physically he looked fine, like, uh, on the scales as well as in the fight. As I said, his speed looked, uh, just as good as it normally does. But, uh, when you see him get dropped like that, well, it's not different than what was happening at bantamweight, right? So how much mm-hmm. do you weigh on the move to flyweight versus just the, the flaws in his game? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, so going into this fight, Kai Car France, number six ranked flyweight. Uh, there's a big title fight coming up next month. Uh, where do you think that this puts him, you know, in, in the uh, flyweight picture? Uh, it, it, it sets him up in a pretty good spot. I mean, Cody Garbrandt, biggest name he's ever beat, and he did it in extremely impressive fashion. That's two straight first round knockout wins for him. Uh, I think Cormier suggested uh, Manel Kapp after after the win, and he's a bit low in the rankings, but stylistically, that would be a, a really fun fight, so I wouldn't be opposed to that. I, I think we'll have to see how Figueredo versus Moreno 3 plays out to really to really know what's next in this division. I mean, what's uh, what's Askar Askarov up to? That's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> it's the only thing on my mind right now is where's Askar Askarov? Is he booked? He was supposed to be booked, right? And then they, they had to cancel it. Right, I he was, don't he remember. Was, yeah, he was supposed to face Alex Perez earlier this year. Then he was supposed to face Matt Schnell. Oh no, I that think- was Perez. Perez who got moved. Yeah. So anyway, it doesn't really matter. He, you know, I think 
unfortunately for Askarov, you know, we had Kara France make a big statement here. So even though Askarov is a little bit further ahead, I, I definitely see uh, somebody like Kara France maybe getting the jump on uh, on him because of, you know, the, the marquee nature. Down. Yeah. All right. Okay. And then the pay-per-view portion of the evening opened with Rolian Paiva versus Sean O'Malley. This is a def... Many consider this to be the biggest, uh, you know, uh, fight, toughest fight for Sean O'Malley going into it. He was a slight favorite. Uh, what did you think about this matchup, uh, Eric? Uh, I didn't look at it as the toughest fight for O'Malley. I, I thought uh, Marlon Vera was on paper the toughest matchup. And uh, Thomas Almeida, even though his years past his prime, still had a lot of uh, questions there as well. I, I favored O'Malley going into this. and. Well, did, did you see it the same way, or? Um, I I liked Paiva on paper. I mean, I don't, I didn't view Paiva as as better than Vera, but I did consider him, you know, a decent contender, or at least a decent challenge for O'Malley. But I, I generally thought that O'Malley had the significant advantage in it, yeah. just based on just based on the way he was, you know, as you mentioned, like Thomas Almeida. Yeah, he made it look easy, but Thomas Almeida was a one-time, you know, contender. And uh, he's, it's not like he's super past that point. And, and O'Malley made it look, you know, he dusted him. So uh, I, I had that in my mind going into this one. And uh, well, why don't you tell us how it went down? Yeah, and Paiva just, he took so much damage in his last fight in the opening round as well. It was tough to imagine him taking that same amount from Sean O'Malley, which, which we'll get to here. So the fight starts, and Paiva's doing good work with leg kicks mostly. You can see that O'Malley has a significant advantage with his hands. Uh, he's snapping Paiva's head back whenever he lands clean. Uh, eventually, in the latter portion of the rounds, O'Malley just he steps in and he drops Paiva with this beautiful right hand. And he tees off on him with strikes. Uh, tremendous accuracy here throughout the finishing, finishing sequence. And Paiva goes down. Uh, Sean O'Malley wins by TKO at 442 of round one. Very impressive performance. Yeah, really good year for Sean O'Malley, right? Appearing on three pay-per-views alongside uh, Dustin Poirier and uh, coming up with uh, big wins in all of them. Um, a lot of talk going into this one about the idea that, you know, he hasn't fought any ranked guys. Is this the time that you, you step up the level of competition for him? Or do you still just continue to feature him, maybe put him in his own main event on a fight night, uh, that type of stuff. In my opinion, yeah. I think it's this guy's clearly very talented. He has a UFC record of 7-1. and one. He's hardly some newcomer at this point. I think it's it's time for some more ranked competition. Uh, but I, I don't think that's the direction they're going to go in. I don't think that's what O'Malley's interested in. And from Dana White's comments earlier this week, it doesn't sound like what he's interested in either. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, so what? You don't put him up against anybody in the top fifteen? Like, who do you like? What do you do with them? I would, but that doesn't seem to be what they're doing. And uh, the name that has been on O'Malley's tongue recently is Adrian Yanez, which is uh, another extremely tough fighter, but another unranked fighter as well. Okay. All right. Whatever. I guess. All right. Sure. I don't. I mean. I don't know. I'm. I'm just like, like. Well, I mean, you know, he. 
he's beaten some decent guys at this yep. point. You know, uh, he lost to Vera. You know, he claims it's a fluke or whatever. Okay, well, let, let's step it up a little bit. I'm not asking for something uh, dramatic, but like, you know, looking at the top, the bottom three of the this bantamweight, you know, top 15, you've got, I mean, the name that makes the most sense is number 13 to me, Frankie Edgar. Then you've got Song Yadon, and then there's like Cody Stamen after that. Frankie Edgar, you know, somebody, you know, on the tail end of his career, it's an opportunity to, you know, beat a legend. Uh, maybe that's too tough of a test for him. But I don't know. I, I, I don't see it as being that wild. No, me either. I mean, that's probably if I was the UFC, that's the direction I would go in. I mean, personally, I don't want to see Frankie Edgar fighting anybody with knockout power anymore. But whatever happens. Well, I mean, look, they all have knockout power, it seems. So. Dominic Cruz, let's go. Versus Frankie Edgar? <laughs> Or, yeah, versus, yeah. or versus uh, Sean O'Malley. No, no, Dominic Cruz versus Frankie Edgar, so no one gets hurt and everyone is No. <laughs> well, okay. Well, we'll get to Dominic Cruz in a oh, bit. Yes, we will. Uh, but uh, before that, let's, uh, let's talk about the, uh, you know, the main event of the preliminary card, which was uh, a pretty highly anticipated fight between Josh Emmett and Dan Ige, both of these guys known as uh, action fighters. Um, so, you know, I think that they got a pretty prime spot here for good reason. Um, well, why don't you let us know how it went down there? Definitely. I mean, I, this was like a very strong uh, main event for a preliminary portion of the card. Uh, Josh Emmett's been gone for a while after having some leg injuries uh, after his last bout against Shane Burgos. But he comes back here and seconds into the bout, he drops the Anige hard with this big right hand. Uh, to Ige's credit, he recovers really well, and I thought he does good work for the remainder of the round, but nothing that um, th that would be more significant than that knockdown, so I thought this was a pretty clear one for Josh Emmett. Going into round two, I thought this was a much better round for Dan Ige, who is really tagging Emmett with some skillful shots, this left hook that just wobbles Emmett. He, he doesn't swarm him afterwards. That's not really Dan Yuge's style. He, he instead chooses to just take his time, keeps picking away at him with his jab. I didn't think Emmett really did much of significance throughout this round, so I thought this was a really clear one for Dan Ige. 19-19 on my scorecard. We go into round three, and Emmett is fighting with a lot more aggression here. Ige manages to slow him down by continuing to work that jab, but he keeps uh, trading with Emmett in the pocket, and whenever he does that, Emmett just lands way harder. And, you know, this was the closest round of the entire fight, but I thought it kind of came down to Josh's power in this round versus the activity of Danny Ige, and I weighed Josh's power more, so I, I gave him this round as well as the fight. Uh, how about yourself? Uh, I gave Ige this round. I just found that, yes, Emmett made improvements in this round over the second to, to land more, and the power was significant. He was still eating a fair amount of shots, and then when it came down to sort of that last 45 seconds or so, it seemed like Ige had the edge in, in that bit, and it, and it and it was coming down to that those 45 seconds because it, it was so close. Very evenly matched. Um, you know, credit to Emmett for making adjustments in the third round when things were not going his way and uh, getting things closer. Um, 
I mean, I like I said, I gave it to Ige, but it's not a crime to give it to Emmett uh, at all. Um, yeah, we we go to the judges and the scorecards are twenty nine twenty eight. 29-28 and 30-27 in favor of Josh Emmett. Uh, I thought the 30-27 was a bit ridiculous. I can't imagine giving Josh Emmett that second round in which he did very little, but uh, I, I didn't disagree with the decision ultimately. So uh, that's four in a row for Josh Emmett now. Yeah, uh, pretty pretty good, uh, pretty good run. You know, somebody who started off uh, the whole pandemic era coming in uh, late and performing well, but we haven't seen him since then. Um, I think, you know, he's somebody who he's, sli- you know, he's a sleeper in that division. And I think you put him in another uh, big fight and he comes away with the win. Uh, he'd be knocking on the door of a title shot soon. I agree. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people wrote him off after that fight against Jeremy Stevens, where n- not only did he get knocked out, but he took a, a ton of damage in that finishing sequence. But he's rebounded strongly. And this guy, he has tremendous power. I don't know if there's anyone who hits harder than he does at featherweight right now. But look, wins over Shane Burgos and uh, Mursad Bektik. Those are some very strong fighters. So he, he's he's right up there with the best in the division. And uh, let's see here. what let, Who should we put him up against? The Korean let's Zombie. Fe- Korean Zombie, eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. That'll 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 test that'll test the power. <laughs> yeah, good choice. Good choice. And All right, the winner could very well be in line for a title shot after that. For sure. Very very busy division though. Very busy division, right? Cause, oh yeah, uh, a ton of activity there now. After it was kind of uh, frozen for years with just a ton of inactivity. All right, and then we already mentioned him. The Dominator, Dominic Cruz, coming back for his second fight of the year. When was the last time he had two fights in a year, Eric? 2016, where he fought three times. Whoa. Insane. Do, do you think he can get one in before next week? He can show up next week's card and, you know, <laughs> three? No, okay. All right. Yeah, well, I feel uh, we'll be seeing that. Uh, well, you know, Dominic Cruz going up against another... Tough opponent, ranked fighter, Pedro Munoz, a veteran. Um, how did it happen, Eric? All right, so I have a lot of notes on this one, so uh, just tell me if I'm getting a bit out of hand here. Munoz wastes uh, little time in attacking the league leg of Dominic Cruz. Uh, Cruz is dodging head kicks. He he looks like he always does. Before, he cracks Munoz with his left hand. You can see that Dom is throwing with, with power here. He, he's cracking Munoz, but Munoz defends Dom's takedown defense. And he lands this counter jab as Dom loads up on this looping punch. And he drops Cruz hard. Cruz is trying to pick himself up, but he gets dropped even harder against the cage. I thought this fight was about to be stopped, but he kind of like rolls with Munoz, goes on top. It buys him enough time to recover. And when Dom get ba- gets back to his feet, he looks fine. And somewhere Keith Peterson is just it, fuming. I no, I don't. I think it's the opposite. I think Keith Peterson. You know that gif of Ray Liotta from Goodfellas laughing. <laughs> That's Keith Peterson. He's just like amusing himself all night. The fight continues, and uh, Munoz lands some hard leg kicks, but Cruz is flurrying forward with some combinations. I thought Cruz ended the round strongly, but uh, because Munoz almost finished him, this was a, a pretty clear round for Pedro Munoz. 
we, we go into round two and Dom is starts off very strongly with these beautiful combinations. He, he's getting caught by counters by Munoz in the process, but as the round is progressing, Munoz is spending more and more time just swinging at air. Uh, Cruz defends a takedown attempt from Munoz and he, he lands this like looping left hand. I think it was that cuts Pedro open. Anyways, I thought this was a really strong round for Dominic Cruz, who was pretty much just teeing off at Pedro Munoz at points. There was like the sustained moment near the end of the round where Pedro Munoz is practically just standing still as Dom just throws right hand, left hand, right hand, left hand, right hand, left hand. So uh, 19-19 going into round three. Munoz looks like he's going to be more aggressive in this third round, but it's it's more of the same. He can't find Dominic Cruz. And Dom is finding him repeatedly. Uh, he's landing hard. Like some of the hardest shots I've seen Dominic Cruz land in a fight. Uh, I thought this was another round for Dominic Cruz. And the judges agreed. 29-28 Cruz on all three scorecards. Did you see it the same way, Phil? Yeah, I think it was a pretty easy fight to score. Uh, the only question was maybe if somebody wanted to give that first round to be a 10-8. But I think had... Dom not had the last 45 seconds or so of that round where he showed that he did recover. I think that that made it a 10-9 round. And yeah, and then by round two, he was back to normal. And I mean, really, the the, the whole thing was this one counter left. That set it off. And had that one strike not landed... Cruz just continued to do what he was doing. So it, it, it didn't really change the game plan all too much, it seemed, other than maybe Cruz recognized what the mistake was and was able to avoid it for the rest of the fight. But uh, amazing recovery by Cruz. Uh, he was moving as good as ever and a great win. You know, he, he's against another ranked opponent. So, uh, you know, he's made no, uh, he hasn't, he's made it clear that he wants to climb the rankings to get another title shot. I don't know how close this puts him to that, but it's definitely an impressive performance. And as I said earlier, happy to see him in there healthy in the octagon twice in a year. Yes. Uh, jokes aside, seeing Dominic Cruz fight twice in a year is, uh, was fantastic. It's, it wasn't long ago where I think a lot of us thought we just might never see Dominic Cruz fight again. So to, to see him have two performances like he did this year was uh, great to see. Well, you know, always one to entertain us during the fight uh, and also post-fight uh, is one Dominic Cruz with a bit of a very unusual post-fight uh, uh, interview. Can you give us a recap of that one, Eric? Uh, as I recall, he uh, he makes sure to uh, praise the referee. Uh, who was it? Uh, Mark Goddard for his uh, amazing refing, knowing to let Dom <laughs> continue in that first round, which certainly was not a shot directed towards any other referee <laughs> in the world. And You and see he proceeded- why he would be laughing? You see why he would be laughing at home he's he's living rent free in dom's head for the rest of eternity and, uh, and dom <laughs> proceeded to preach unity to all of us because there are forces trying to keep us apart so uh <laughs> now more than ever now more, now than, more ever. than ever thank you no Dickie, call out of monster me. energy this time yeah well they've settled their beef they've settled their oh, beef yeah. he's he's, he's on team monster energy now all right okay so there's one more oh wait no there was two more fights on the uh, prelims, uh, we had a heavyweight battle between Augusto Sakai and Tai 
Tivasa. Sakai coming off of two losses, but to really good competition. Overeem and Rosenstrike. And Tai Tuivasa has been knocking people out left, right, and center, but hasn't been the toughest uh, of opponents. Yeah, so a step up in competition for Tai Tuivasa here, and let's just jump into it. The first round, a bit slow. Most of it took place against the cage. I thought Tuivasa was actually fighting uh, intelligently. He had some really good counters here, slipping in uppercuts and hooks at a very opportune moment. So I thought this was a really impressive round for Tai Tuivasa, where it wasn't just in the past, you would watch a Taito Ivasa win and be like, oh yeah, yeah, he hits really hard. He's always down to swing, but I, I thought this was a performance worthy of a ranked heavyweight. We go into round two, and we get the old Taito Ivasa. He just swarms forward, throwing uh, constant strikes at Sakai, who eventually just collapses against the cage, completely unconscious. Uh, Taito Ivasa wins by knockout 26 seconds into round two, and he celebrates on the cage with a shoey. One of the loudest shoey, maybe the loudest shoey pop ever. This this shoey got a bigger pop than the knockout. Than uh, you know, maybe only Juliana Pena had a bigger pop than uh, this. And, shoey. and even then, it was close. <laughs> it was close. <laughs> that's, that's that's right. Uh, yeah, Tai Tuivasa looked very imp- uh, impressive here, as you mentioned. A uh, very polished performance from him. Uh, unusual. Interesting that Daniel Cormier mentioned during the broadcast that Tai Tiovasa has a dedicated team to help him prepare. He's he doesn't go to uh, like tr- like uh, big camps with uh, like other like he goes and trains there, but he has a dedicated team to help him prepare and get better. Which look, if you're if you want to be the best of the best, that is the approach that I think you need to take now uh, as an elite MMA fighter. Yeah, no, uh, so, I thought this is one of uh, his best performances in the UFC, and he handled Augusto Sakai easier than I'd say even like the likes of Alistair Overeem or Jairzinho Rosenstrike did. All right, and then to start the the uh, prelims, we had a middleweight bout between Jordan Wright and Bruno Silva, another fight that didn't last terribly long. No, these guys were just swinging wildly from the opening seconds, as you would expect from these two fighters. It's Bruno Silva who lands the clean one first, rocking Wright with these pair of hooks, and he just swarms him. Uh, Wright goes to the ground, and Silva just spams him with strikes until the fight's eventually called off. Bruno Silva wins by knockout at a minute and 28 seconds of round one. Fun fight while it lasted. Absolutely. Very fun fight. All right, and then uh, quickly down the preliminary card, we had Andre Muniz defeat Eric Anders by submission. That happened in round one very quickly. Pretty impressive there. We also had a very impressive performance uh, in the women's flyweight division by Aaron Blanchfield, who just dominated Miranda Maverick uh, on her way to a unanimous decision. Ryan Hall was able to get a unanimous decision, get back on winning tracks, also showing some impressive grappling. As uh, Derek Miner had, you know, one of the worst fight IQ performances of the year. Uh, Tony Kelly defeated Randy Costa by TKO. And Jillian Robertson defeated Priscilla Cachoeira by submission. Rear naked choke of 459 of round number one. So that was UFC 269, the final pay-per-view of the year. Eric, what did you think of the card? 
I thought this was a pretty excellent card, top to bottom. Tons of exciting fights, exciting finishes, and an all-time moment with Juliana Pena defeating Amanda Nunes. Uh, yeah. Still kind of doesn't feel real. Absolutely. A lot of, lot of great finishes on this card. Uh, some uh, pretty exciting fights. The main event was very good. But yeah, I think the biggest story has to be this Juliana Pena victory, the shocking upset of Amanda Nunez. And yeah, what happens with uh, Amanda Nunez going forward? I mean, you know, this is pretty exciting because we had essentially decided that she had no challengers. The only person that we could even conceive of was Kayla Harrison at 145. So uh, the fact that now, you know, there's a new challenger or there's a new champion at 135, it, it opens up all sorts of questions at, you know, 145 as well. So um, pretty exciting event. And congratulations to uh, Juliana Pena. All right, so I'm going to look run down what's going on uh, coming up next. Why don't you uh, maybe get the performance bonuses, Eric? Yeah, let me have it up. So our fight of the night was Pedro Munoz versus Dominic Cruz. Uh, I agreed. I, I thought that fight was fantastic. And performance bonuses went out to Silva, Tuivasa, Kaikara France, Juliana Pena, Sean O'Malley, and Charles Oliveira. So no shortage of bonuses handed out tonight. Ah, so everybody has some uh, money for Christmas present. That's right. right. They're so generous. <laughs> the uh, all right. So next week, so this is the last UFC uh, pay per view of the year, but there is one more event, and that's next week from the UFC Apex heavyweight main event: Derek Lewis taking on Chris Dawkins. Chris Dawkins has looked quite good. Derek Lewis, this is coming off that horrible uh, heavyweight title loss from the summer. And a pretty good fight between Stephen Thompson, Bilal Muhammad, Ricky Simone versus Rafael Asensau on here, Cub Swanson versus Darren Elkins. Um, so some interesting fights next weekend. And then the next pay-per-view of the year will be on January 22nd from the Honda Center in Anaheim, California. And that is the heavyweight title unification bout. We've 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 had these the, the the heavyweight division has been torn apart for far too long. It is finally time to unify these titles and fuse them together. As Francis Ngannou takes on Cyril Gone, you also have the flyweight title rematch between Brandon Moreno and Davison Figueredo, along with Jerry Kennear versus Derek Brunson, Greg Hardy versus Alexei Olenek, and Cody Stammen versus Saeed Nurmagomedov to uh, fill out the main card. I'm really excited about those top two fights. I think they're both interesting in very different ways. Yeah, the the, the flyweight one, you know, just the biggest question for me is just, you know, what happened last time to figure yeah. it out? Like, obviously, Moreno obviously stepped up for the rematch. I mean, he stepped up in the first fight because it was so great, but, you know, stepped up in the rematch and delivered, but it just seemed like Figueredo shit the bed. Maybe something was wrong. I don't know. I don't want to speculate, but I want to see how he bounces back because that was, I mean, he looked, that was by far the worst he's ever looked. Yeah. You have uh, to give all the credit to Brandon Moreno, but uh, Figueredo has been a pretty consistent fighter in the UFC. And I thought he beat Brandon Moreno when they fought just a few months prior. So uh, a, a very uh, uncharacteristic performance from him. I'm hoping we get more of the old Davison Figueredo in the trilogy fight. 
Yes, and then Francis Ngannou versus Surreal Gan. Obviously, just a very interesting fight from the stylistic standpoint. Uh, Gan, a terrific technical striker. Francis Ngannou, the most feared puncher that the UFC's ever seen. Um, but also interesting because, as has been reported by Ariel, this is the last fight on Ngannou's contract. And even if he wins... He will be a free agent at the end of 2022, which is very unusual for UFC contracts. So I'm not sure how that works, but uh, it, 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 this, is, this is a pretty big fight for uh, Francis Ngannou's career here. Uh, yeah, I mean, imagine if he left with the UFC title and just uh, brought it over to Bellator MMA where he uh, dumps it in a trash bin on live TV before going to fight uh, Ryan Bader. It'd be incredible. Yeah, that that would be amazing. That would be one of the most original television productions ever. I mean, wow. I mean, thank God it's not scripted because I mean they wouldn't believe it if uh, you know if something like that happened. Where do you get these incredible ideas, Eric? Oh, you know, I'm a very original and creative person. I feel like you maybe you, you maybe got this from spending time watching videos with Jordan uh, Goodman. No, not a chance. Come on. I'd never lie. All right. Well, uh it was a fun time. Eric, Eric, let let me also say, Eric, we do have another event, but I think it's pretty fair to say that Eric, you are the number 1 MMA prognosticator in the Discord. Eric ends the record atop our Discord fight prediction leaderboard. So for anybody who isn't part of the Discord, pretty much every major fight or even non-major fight, Eric uh, will post a fight poll where people in the Discord can pick the winners. And it turns out that Eric Marcotte is the best at this uh, with a record of 308 wins 182 losses, a 62.9% win rate. Number two, Scott Ferry, a very respectable 284 and 164, but a slightly better win rate. So uh, uh, the leaderboard will reset uh, going into 2022. So we get to start it all over again. Congratulations, Eric. I think it's fair to crown you now. And if for anybody who wants to participate, just come to postwrestling.com slash discord or discord.gg slash postwrestling and join the discord and you can participate in the fight polls, which again will restart in 2022. Yeah, it's been an excellent year. I think we've got every single, I could be wrong on this, but I think we've had every single UFC fight since we started doing this predicted in this, in this uh, fight prediction pool pretty much every Bellator main card and a number of PFL events as well. So a lot of activity in the post MMA discord this year. Yeah. We threw in some, uh, I think there was even some boxing events got tossed in there. Uh, so, uh, yeah, maybe we'll, one we'll or continue. two trailer cards that will protect. <laughs> yes. The, I, I, there might've been a few of those as well, unfortunately. Uh, well, thank you so much, Eric, actually for doing that because it's great fun for the discord and, uh, you know, you never, you never, miss a beat with it so thank you so much to that uh congratulations on the victory and uh this won't be the last time that people hear from us there is uh you know maybe one more appearance before the end of the year mma related for eric and myself but uh we'll save that surprise for later um do you have anything else 
to say to the people of the post-universe? Uh, Jose Aldo, he's a fantastic fighter, guys. If you missed his fight last week, yeah. check it out. He's the greatest of all time. That's all I have to say. Well, shame on me. I missed the fight because I went to bed. But uh, I promised to uh, check it back because uh, Fiziv was on that card as well, and he had an incredible uh, performance. So I uh, have to make sure that I catch those before the next time before they fight. Um, anyways, just want to thank you, Eric, for helping me out through the year in the Discord, helping me out with the post shows. I know that uh, John is thankful as well. And yeah, thank you to all the listeners, all the viewers. This has been the most successful year for us on the post show. It's been the most successful year for us on the Discord. So uh, thank you, everybody. And we look forward to seeing you next year in 2022 for UFC 270. All right. Have a good night, everybody.